as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. And welcome to this week's Speak Up Conversation. I'm Annika Flynn. This week's episode features Kathy Olson, speech pathologist, chatting with Lisa, who is a stroke survivor and user of AAC. As speech pathologists, we know the importance of allowing people who use AAC the time they need to respond. Lisa's first response is in real time to reflect this. To ensure I could capture the many wonderful things Lisa had to say within this episode, her response time has been reduced for all her other answers. I can't thank Lisa enough for giving up her time to be part of the podcast. Enjoy listening. It's a brilliant conversation. What is it like not to have a voice? I lost my voice at 13 so for many years I didn't have a voice as such. And it's the whole stigma around if you can't speak, you can't think, or have any identity in lots of cases. So the the feeling is people assume that if you don't have a voice, it's like you don't have a a brain. Yeah. Um, So what do you think... is the best thing that speech pathologists can do to support people who use AAC. Don't just think they know the best or newest devices are going to work for everyone. Again, it comes down to getting to know the person or client and assuming competence is a big thing for me. Including competence to know what's the best system for them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, this sort of kind of flows on, um, which is the assumption people make about you as someone who uses AAC, which frustrates you the most? 
Well, I'm a mom, and my son is starting to have to explain to his friends now. My mom's smart, she just had a stroke, and people generally assuming I can't parent cause I can't communicate. But even before that, it was always assumed people would speak for me. But I have a pretty strong-minded attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Thanks. It's, it's good to know. Um, so how do you feel about your AAC and your AAC system? I did resist any device for years, and then I met Berlin Hemsley and found this whole community that I now have found my tribe, my peers and ways I can support other AAC users and also try and just generally educate society in everyday interactions. My AAC communication is just an iPad with Proloquo for text application. I have tried a few other things. But I always go back to this because it's not a big technical device and it allows me to communicate via social media too. Yep, so found a system that works for you. You kind of addressed this a little bit in the previous question, but um, do you see yourself as part, or some so you do see yourself now as part of um, a community of people who use AAC? So I guess I'm just going to extend that question a little and say, what do you think that brings you and what do you bring to that community. <laughs> it gives me some purpose in knowing I represent my peers and it allows me to learn from the professionals who I've met over the last eight years. But I also know that if I'm having a bad technology day, I know I have friends who totally get what it's like to depend on Firstly, technology or low-tech ways, and secondly, it means I can represent my peers, because only we truly understand each other's frustrations at times. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, Lisa, um, do you think that there's a message that, that the AAC community would like people to, to know and understand? Everyone is different in their own ways they've found what works through trial and error. There is no one fixed for all. So, Liz, you know that we've already let people know that sometimes people who use AAC need some time to compose their messages, and we've edited out some of those but left some in. Can you let me know what is okay or not okay for people to do when they're chatting um, in that composition time for you? If you know me well, I don't mind if you try and guess. But if you've just met me, don't even try and preempt what I'm thinking. My mind is a bit dark at times. Actually, a lot of the time, I'm a bit sick and twisted. <laughs> so you just never know my, what might be coming out. <laughs> don't assume anything. <laughs> And also if I'm holding my screen so you can't read it, don't stand behind me to read it. You might see some predictions that are not appropriate. And it's also respectful to face someone like you would with any other friend or colleagues. Can you tell me, uh, is there any other messages that you'd like to take this opportunity to, to get across? 
I would really like to encourage both professionals and AAC users to connect with organisations like Agoski and Isaac Australia and Speech Pathology Australia and all the peak bodies because it's our lives at the end of the day that are impacted the most and wheels AAC users need to be in the room or at the table or at conferences so we can learn from and support each other and support new speeches coming into the sector. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.